Coming to you direct from the heart of New York City, all the way to wherever you are, you're listening to the VIP Jazzwall Report. There's a saying that all men are created equal. In my humble experience, that is simply not true. Men are not created equal, but should be given equal opportunities in their journey of life to transform themselves into their fullest potential. Because life owes us nothing. We actually owe it to life to live it to the fullest of our abilities and be the best we can be. In fact, our next guest is exactly why I believe men are not created equal. He stands head and shoulders above most of us. His words, his following, his achievement, his struggles and his success seem to come from a Hollywood script. And we're about to find out what makes this man one of real life's box office success stories. This man's been called America's best preacher by Time magazine. Oprah's called him America's treasure. But in my last show, I called him precious only because he is Watch one of his sermons at the Potter's House of Dallas and hear him communicate and you will hear words that'll touch your soul, knock on your conscience, because you don't have to be a Christian to follow him. He just talks in a way that goes beyond borders and touches your emotions in a deep and meaningful way. He's a pastor, a motivator, a coach, and so much more to millions around the world. It's an honor to welcome back the one, the only, Bishop T.D. Jakes. Bishop, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. It's a real pleasure to be uh, with you and to have opportunity to talk then. Also, did you hear the intro? Oh, it was amazing. <laughs> I wondered who was going to speak afterward. And I don't get paid for that. Can you believe it? <laughs> I'll send you a not, not by you anyway. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, you know what? I was watching this year and you started your message to all your followers with the concept of transformation. Yes. Right? And ironically, I want you to share with our listeners how you have transformed yourself over the course of your life. I mean, I've seen a lot of your interviews where actually the discussion's based on what you do and what you say. But I actually found it difficult to find information about what makes you, you. Well, you know, uh, you, you, you use the term transformed myself mm-hmm. uh, in past tense, almost as if completed. But I think that Life is a continual, ongoing, perpetual process of transformation. Uh, well, life has a beginning, right? Yes. So let me talk about your beginning. What was your upbringing like? Oh, well, my, my upbringing was I grew up in the hills of West Virginia, mm-hmm. uh, and I was born in 1957 uh, to Ernest and Otis Jakes. They were my father and mother. My father, uh, during the many, many jobs that he had, ended up with a uh, a mop in a bucket. He did everything, so fish, everything imaginable to take care of his family. And I think that's one of the reasons I have great work ethic. Uh, but he ended up with a mop in a bucket that he transformed into a, a, a business with 52 employees. My mother was an educator, but she spent the early years at home raising her children and didn't go back to work until I went back to school being her youngest child. So we had fairly meager beginnings, wood frame house hanging off the side of a cliff in the hills of West Virginia in a community called Vandalia. Uh, But it was wonderful. I mean, it wasn't. When I look back at it in retrospect, I realized uh, there were little things that I didn't know what spaghetti sauce until I was about eight or nine years old. I didn't know what it tastes like. I didn't know what it was because my mother cooked noodles and put ketchup on it. So those little (laughs) things are reminders that we were way below the poverty line, but uh, we didn't know it because we had each other and we had love. And from those meager beginnings, uh, I grew and developed and uh, loved and learned and and became who I am today. What do you most remember about your childhood? 
I think I most remember uh, <laughs> the the absence of toys and how creative we had to be in order to enjoy ourselves. I came up in an era when children were told to go outside and play. I didn't come from the computer age where children are locked in the house. We were sent outside to play, and, and we had to create our toys. You made your own Lego. Absolutely. And, and you know, uh, I'm, I'm grateful today because in retrospect, I realized that that spawned creativity in, in me that I wouldn't have had otherwise. I, I, again, I'm the youngest of my siblings, and my sister is a middle child. She's five and a half years older than me, and my brother is seven years older than me. So in some ways, I grew up almost as if I were the only an only child mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and had all of the strengths and weaknesses that come from being raised in, in that kind of environment. So it was quite a nurturing environment. Yes, very much so for me. And what were you like when you were a, a young man? What, what was you, what were your characteristics? Uh, well, I was. I thought you were going to ask me what was I like as a little boy. My neighbors used to say I was mannish. <laughs> mannish. <laughs> yeah, they said I was mannish, and they called my neighbor used to call me Mr. Thomas when I was a little boy because he's he he said I was mannish. That was a term that the old people used when they thought you were precocious or mature beyond your age, or sometimes a little uh, outspoken. Well, who knew? Who knew? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> And uh, so I, I guess maybe maybe it was uh, accurate. I don't know, but uh, I, I grew into a young man uh, who who ran into a lot of calamities. My uh, father got gravely ill when I was ten and died when I was sixteen, and all of the trauma. Uh, it, it, it sounds like a straight line, but there was a lot of trauma, good days, bad days, emergency rooms, he's not going to make it, he is going to make it, kidney machine in the basement of our house. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just being raised in the middle of a family crisis and uh, that sort of turmoil, and then he expired uh, at 16, and uh, that was a very difficult part of my life to get through. Uh, and yet it, was, it, it had a lot to do with who I am uh, as, as an adult. So was there a lot of anger and resentment, as in, why me? I don't think it was anger. Uh, I didn't get, I didn't have emotional trauma or recognize emotional trauma until he died, and I think it was a sense of losing the battle for me, for me and in my teenage adolescent way of processing it. I thought we had lost the battle, and uh, and the other thing that I thought was quite devastating is that we had my father and I had un- unfinished business, as it were, and I have learned that grief is often the most severe when there's unfinished business, uh, things I wanted to know about him and about myself that I would never get to know. And and those uh, voids were, were quite difficult for me at that age, especially in the middle of adolescence. Uh, it was a bit traumatic for me, but I, I got through it and, and went on with my life. But that was that, such were the times, as they say. And those incidents must have given you sort of significant um, learning points for your future, right? I think uh, I think that he taught me an amazing lesson in dying. He taught me the preciousness of life, that life was not to be wasted. Uh, I think it has a lot to do with my work ethic, not only because he exemplified it in front of me, but because he died so prematurely. I think it was the catalyst through which I see uh, the power to see the moment and not to take for granted that there will always be a tomorrow. 
Uh, I also learned that if you love someone, tell them. If you if you need to fix something, fix it, because tomorrow is not promised to you. And to have those uh, indelible impressions uh, embedded into your heart at such a vulnerable age and stage, it's, it's almost like a tattoo on my soul that uh, today I, I still respect time and take it, don't take it for granted and really try to make my life count. Uh, because he taught me that life is not always promised. And what a way to teach. Right. Now, did you do a lot of jobs growing up? Early on, I, well, I worked all of my life. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, I grew up working. Um, uh, my father was ill, so, uh, you know, you, you had to work, and I wanted to work, and I always liked having my own money. They were not big jobs or fancy jobs, but, uh, I mean, everything from passing newspapers to uh, working in warehouses to ultimately uh, taking care of my father's business as best I could, even as a boy. <laughs> I would uh, catch the bus and go downtown and lock up the buildings that he had contracted for janitorial services to make sure that the doors were locked. So I was uh, saddled with responsibility at an early age, and uh, I think that was a blessing for me in, in a lot of ways. You know, I used to work at Wendy's. I did some jobs in carpet shops and betting shops. Um, you know, what I learned was the dignity and respect for all kinds of labor. Right. Um, but actually, working in those places gave me a kind of fear in that I did not want to do that for the rest of my life. Right. So for me, you know, it was a great source of motivation for me to transform myself. What Absolutely. did you learn from that, from the labor that you did? Uh, it, first of all, it taught me respect for people who work like that. My father used to uh, strip and wax floors in grocery stores, and he would go in the stores about 10 o'clock at night, and we would be locked, literally locked in the store till in the morning. And the times that I got to go with him, I wasn't along for the ride. Mm-hmm. He gave me some Brillo pads and put me over in the corner and told me to scrub out the corner, said the buffer didn't hit. And uh, it taught me responsibility. It taught me uh, planning and ethics. And then it gradually began to teach me things like payroll and staff and budgets and and uh, taxes. And uh, as I would walk behind him and hear him talking about different things that he had to manage behind the scenes, not just the work itself, but the business and how the business functioned and how it worked and how he made it do what he what he did. Uh, and so it, this was like business 101 for you? Yeah, to a degree. I didn't know it at the time, but uh, I think it was the stimulus that really motivated me to, to think and look at everything. I go in a restaurant and I look at the, the staff and the, the budget and the payroll and, and and the produce and the cost of the meal and, and I, I look at everything from a business perspective. In the football game, I'm counting seats and and looking at advertisement more than I am at the game. Maybe because I'm illiterate with sports, doing part to the way I grew up, I didn't have time for sports. But I have a tendency to look at everything and understand what goes on behind it in order to make it function, rather than to just enjoy it alone and not understand that somebody has sacrificed uh, in order to make this entertainment or whatever it is available to you. Well, that goes back to what you said, I think, in one of your sermons, in that nothing in your life will go to waste. Right. I think that I think that everything should be used, the good and the bad. Uh, you should try to turn it into fuel. Uh, and 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 not waste uh, emotions, uh, energies, uh, 
in in the dungeons of regret and, and decadence, but rather to use it to empower you, much as you said you did working at Wendy's, to say this is not for me, rather than feeling trapped by it. You used it to empower you, and I've I really tried to do that uh, throughout my life. Uh, as the old Addie says, if life hands you lemons, I tried to make lemonade out of it. Sometimes more successfully than others, but even in the process of the effort. The effort is is a sign of resilience and tenacity that says, I will not allow one thing to define the totality of who I am. Well, you know, working in the carpet shop when I was a kid came back to haunt me because now the only difference is that the only thing in my house that gets laid is the carpet. (laughs) (laughs) But really, I want to, you know, now we're talking about the journey of transformation uh, from a young man. Um, I recently put out a quote on Twitter that said, if you treat life like a journey, then make sure you have a destination because going nowhere gets you nowhere. Wow. Um, And I wanted you to share your journey because I think you know where you're going. I I think you're still getting there. Yeah, I, I do think I have a sense of, of of destiny and where I'm going, and and I also think that sometimes we can't become so engrossed in the destination that we miss the beauty of the of the journey and the things we learn along the way. Mm. Uh, I, I think that is the real treasure. Being uh, a pastor and uh, preaching my first funeral at 19, and and and, and now 56, soon to be 57 years old, I've seen. People come and go, and you don't see anybody on the deathbed bragging about how many years they lived or weeks or months they lived. They only rehearse the moments that happen along the way. Well, and, to what extent have you seen poverty and struggle apart from your child as a young man, as an independent young man? Oh, everywhere, <laughs> everywhere. Uh, unfortunately, so many of the people that I that I knew and loved from. Uh, relatives in my family to having the privilege of traveling around the world and to the townships of Soweto in the early years to uh, various parts of Nigeria and Ghana and, and other New Mex- Mexico. And but in your personal life, have you experienced personal poverty? Oh, yes, I lost everything. I, I mean, I, I got married and uh, worked a job for Union Carbide. They shut down the plants. Uh, I went on unemployment. I ran out of unemployment, didn't have a job, uh, couldn't keep my utilities on. Uh, I had to use the neighbor's phone to uh, uh, look for jobs and look for work. Had my car repossessed, went down to nothing with a wife and two children, uh, started a uh, Started trying to rebuild my life with a lawnmower. I guess inspired by my father's mop bucket, I got a, a, a bunch of lawnmowers in a van and started cutting grass and digging ditches for gas lines to buy diapers for my boys when they were small. And uh, I, I tell you, the worst part of it, V, to me was it wasn't it wasn't the work and it wasn't it wasn't even the poor wages and it wasn't the utilities being off. It it was working through the fear that that I might not be able to change it, that I might not be able to get up. The uncertainty of not knowing how your story ends was the most frightening thing at that period in my life. You're talking about somebody who's in their early, about mid-20s. Mm-hmm. And 
coming home to my kids and making a joke about the lights being off and telling them, they said, uh, why are the lights off, Daddy? And I said, because we're playing a game to see who can get to the bed without stomping, stomping their toe. Whoever gets to the bed without stomping their toe wins. Okay, okay. And and they were running through the house, you know, and, and arguing over who got there first. And, and then I'm living with the reality that the power was off. Uh, that was very difficult, and 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 not knowing for sure that it would ever change. Do I? This is a question that tries men's souls. Do I have what it takes to change the circumstance I find myself in? And I think no matter what level of life or what the obstacle it is, when the challenge roars against you like a lion, maybe you find yourself like I did, sitting on the side of the bed wondering. Can I respond to this in such a way that I could that I can stop the roaring? And at that point, I, I really wasn't sure. I wasn't sure, but I fought. And, and to fight is one thing to fight sure, <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's another thing to fight unsure. You you can talk a good game, but in the middle of the night when everybody's sleeping, you're looking out the window and you're wondering, you know, uh, how what are we going to eat tomorrow? Uh, that's that's a that's a different feeling, and not everybody, particularly in this country, has ever experienced that. But if you ever have, it's a game changer. Yes, it is. And, you know, but not everyone has that mindset because some people just give up and say there's no hope and keep being swallowed by the abyss. That is so true. And, and I feel feel sorry when I see that. And I'm not necessarily critical of the person because um, nobody knows how much weight construction can carry but the one who made you and 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 sometimes uh, there is a limit there is a weight limit to steel and and at certain levels different people crumble at different places but i decided to fight back till i couldn't fight anymore i i I wanted i wanted to i wanted my children to see a better side of life before they got grown and I, i used to pray uh lord don't let my sons get grown and not see anything better than what what we have right now. They didn't complain. They didn't know the difference. They were little kids. But I wanted them to know that they could that they could be successful in this country, in their color, in their ethnicity, that that was not a limitation to possibilities. And philosophically, I believed it, but experientially, that took a little while. Well, you know, I've been in a similar situation to yours uh, at a very young age. And I used to joke because my mom would come and see me, and um, she'd be very emotional try to hide her tears when she'd see me and you know i used to joke with her and say you know what uh mom i might be poor but i still go to kfc but the only difference is i go lick other people's fingers (laughs) that's pretty broke (laughs) but i think but i think the motivating factor for me was that i always thought that this is not for me i'm better than this and and as long as i keep trying i'm going to outdo the bad luck you you hit something that that I think is important. Uh, I, I never believed that my circumstances were were mine. I never owned them. I lived there, but I rented poverty. I never I never bought it. Sometimes, if you buy a condition, if you buy it, if you buy into it, and you own it and define yourself by it, you can't get out of it. Right. I think you have to believe that you were meant, uh, instinctively meant, for something beyond your circumstances, and then you inv- you evolve as a person to the level of that, that instinct. Now, that instinct, and that's where I want to get to, what was that one 
moment that made you realize your calling in life? I, you know, uh, I, I acknowledged my call to ministry when I was 17, though I didn't start ministry until I was 19. And, and I think that that is one of the calls that's on my life. Uh, I, d I don't necessarily think that we are limited to one thing. No, we're not. And I was going to get to that. Yeah. Um, but something must have made you realize that, hey, I enjoy this. I'm good at this. I'm passionate about it. People believe in me and I can communicate. I, I wasn't ever so sure that I was good at it, but I did enjoy it. <laughs> It's still the jury's still out as to how good I am at it, but I love people. Yeah, I but really, at your depths of where you have nowhere to go, you then have actually anywhere to go. Right. Right. So right. then you 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 did something one evening, and you suddenly felt okay. Now I'm going to restrict my options and follow this. Right. And then from there, once I gain a certain level of success, then I will start branching out. Right. So what yeah. made you plant that seed? What did it? What happened that day? I, I think when you find that thing. That, that ignites you as a human being, that mm. you feel alive when you do it. Uh, the thing that you would do at no charge at all, the thing that to which, all, you, you know, it's like uh, when you exercise a muscle and all the blood runs to it. When you, when you find your purpose, all your energy runs to it, and you do anything to do it, whether it's art or draw or business or, in my case, communication. When I do it, I, I am the most alive in the most incredible way. Uh, it's hard to articulate what that feeling is like for me. But do you remember that day, what happened that day where you discovered it? I think it was. I don't think it was so much a day. I think it was a process. It was for a process. Me. Yeah, it was a process. It wasn't like an aha moment. Mm -hmm. It was almost like a uh, uh, the development of an embryo, the emerging of a chick out of a shell. Uh, it, it was a process of pecking into it and, and processually, because I think I liked the maturity uh, uh, mentally to be able to identify it initially, but it is an evolution for me. It was an evolution, and with that evolution comes the decision. You, you cannot be who you were and who you are at the same time. You have to sacrifice one for the other. There comes a point in your life that you do begin to let go of certain things that you might have had great interest in, but they were not the primary thing that made the blood rush. And uh, and as I begin to unveil and unravel that process in my own life, uh, it was a, more of a period of life for me than it was a particular day and a hard decision. And because it was a period of life, that means that you have constantly focused and applied yourself in getting there. Oh, absolutely. And and focus and applied myself with without a struggle because when you find that thing that you're interested in, it's not hard to read, it's not hard to study, it's not hard to invest in it because it is it is as natural as as a, a pregnant woman having cravings mm. over you know, or thirst after you've been on a run. You don't have to make yourself drink. You're thirsty. So when you find the thing that, that, that really ignites you, anything about it, reading, being around it, anybody doing it, you're, you're drawn toward it. And, and I think those, the, those inner drawings and that instinctive interest uh, has been the compass not only to my initial calling but to every residual calling and unveiling of who I am and 
whose I am and how far I can reach, if that is quantifiable, has been determined through a process of uh, instinctually sensing a drawing and a wooing to this different facet of, of, of myself. Well, going back to what you said earlier, um, in a recent show, you said something where you differentiated between talent and purpose um, to the effect that you asked the audience, and I'm going to quote you here, you said, what is your purpose? That this might be your talent and is your transportation, but ultimately, what do you think is your purpose? So I ask you, and you know, because you have an amazing talent as a great speaker, but is that really your purpose? What do you think is your purpose? Oh, I don't life? think that the talent is my purpose. I, I, I don't think the speaking is my purpose. I think that it is, in fact, as I said, a transportation to a greater purpose, and that purpose is to uplift and encourage uh, people to to undergird them to some way, uh, to challenge them beyond. The, the broken places in life for me that is quite quite meaningful. I want to leave the world better than it was when I came here, and and I do it through speaking and writing and and movies and television. But but ultimately, it's it's just as as simple as to leave the world better than than I found it to contribute uh, to to the people that I touch, whether they are ten or ten million. Uh, to to have been of some value, some assistance in in helping you. Uh, a friend of mine says it this way. He says, "My destiny is to help you reach yours." <laughs> and and I think for me, that is a good description of of what my ultimate purpose is. Now, my gut feeling says that because you're dealing with so much of the soul and the heart, uh, that you yourself are a very sensitive man. You care, I think, what people say about you um, just as much as you feel happy when someone compliments you. I think you also get hurt if you get criticized. Um, but being in the position you're in, you have to let it go and move on. So how do you manage doing this? How do you handle criticism? Well, I think the first thing, when you first hear it, uh, because it is so readily available today, <laughs> through uh, social media, this it's a different uh, idiom of communication than from anything we've ever had before. You're you're assaulted both with the good, the bad, and the ugly every day. Right. And uh, for me, I evaluate it when I hear it. Generally, many times it's repetitions of things you've heard before. But when you initially hear it, you say, you know, is there any truth to that at all? And if there's something that I can learn from it, that I can grow from, that I can make myself better from, I try to implement it and use it constructively. If it is largely destructive, inaccurate, untrue, I, I, I totally disregard it altogether. And, I, and like, like the, the same way uh, a callus covers a scar or uh, a, a corn build, build up over a toe, uh, I've learned to harden uh, my softness, to protect myself against the onslaught of, of people's opinions and ideas if they are not constructive, uh, so that I can maintain my focus. Because if you don't do that, then the focus becomes to change somebody's mind. And that's such a poor goal to live your life trying to change somebody else's mind, especially when it's somebody that you may not ever meet. Or that's, ever have met. Or ever have met. They don't Generally, they don't even know you. And it, that's such a... I mean, so if you win the prize of changing their mind, what is the trophy? So never let someone's opinion of you become a reality. That's, and you have that control. 
right. you have that control by dignifying it with uh, an excessive amount of attention. And uh, it is a distraction in your periphery to get you away from your focus. And you have to maintain your focus and keep going because the people who really know you, who really love you and really know you, they know who you are. And I think if you use them as the source of your strength rather than the, the, your fans or your critics, either one, fans or critics, uh, to define you, then you're going to lead a pretty empty and hollow life. At the end of the day, uh, being being well-loved by people who don't know you or being hated by people who don't know you neither feeds you effectively because you are defined by the people in close proximity to you. What's been the worst criticism that you've ever received? Oh, gosh, it's a tough race, <laughs> you know, from being uh, uh, obese uh, at least 50 percent of my life, going up and down and yo-yoing back and forth. I've heard some pretty tough things said about that, to being uh, a child growing up with a list that I would never be a speaker. There's been a lot of lot of uh, things said along the way that were quite painful. And I think which one is the worst is the one uh, that that connects with your own uh, insecurity. That's the worst one. The worst criticism is the one that reinforces something that you are trying to overcome that you feel about yourself. It is that echoed voice that says, see, you're right. <laughs> okay. And and I think that since you can't control the voice without, mm-hmm. you have to muffle the voice within. Because uh, you can never control what people say. Uh, I, I, I heard a lady say something the other day that I thought was quite interesting. I hope I don't botch it. She says, how you feel about me is none of my business. Right. And, and I think that's a great motto to live by, how you feel about me is none of my business. It's, it's, I'll leave that with you. And and so once you begin to understand that and not let their opinion become your business or your goal to salvage, then you can get on to the, the better, far more enriching and enhancing things of, of, of doing, doing what, what you're supposed created. to do. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Now, in your rise to fame along the way, in the decades that have gone by, have you had to in- Endure racist attacks? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's a part of the American experience and probably any other country's experience, depending on their background. I've not never seen masses of people live together that they didn't find something to hate each other about. And uh, being in this country, race is one of the, one of the things that continues to be uh, a sore spot. I mean, my grandfather was murdered uh, by white racists uh, in Mississippi, and uh, my grandmother was pregnant when she found him dead uh, in Bobwar. And uh, yes, it's been all kinds of things, both in my ancestry and in my own life, mm-hmm. and raising my children. That is a part of being in a society that has diversity and in any kind of diversity there's always going to be some sort of uh a racism to overcome but but it is to be overcome it is not to to succumb to it but to overcome and move beyond it because again it's kind of like what we were talking about in the other issue your opinions don't become mine if i don't allow them to 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 be possessed by me. And I I never thought that my value was determined by my packaging. Yeah, exactly. Like I said, you know, never let someone's opinion of you become a reality. Exactly. But um, can you share with us a story that sticks to mind where in terms of racism in your rise 
to power? Well, uh, the, I think the, the the most interesting one actually was a story from uh, my children. I mean, we grew up in West Virginia with about 5% minorities in West Virginia, so uh, that was a reality every day. But I think the one that, that pops to mind most readily was, was I have a set of twin boys, and one of them, they're fraternal twins, and, and one of them is light and the other one was dark. And, and I had come home from work, and we were playing on the living room floor, and I said to uh, Jamar, who is the lighter one, I said, uh, when I was your age, I was your your color. I said, but as I got older, I got darker. And I said, you may end up dark, uh, dark too. Jermaine is the darker twin. And, and Jamar started crying. Hmm. He started crying profusely. And I said, why are you crying? He said, I don't want to be dark like you and Maine. And I said, why? Now, now understand these boys are about mm, six something like that. Mm-hmm. And he says, I said, why? He said, uh, because the darker you are, the more they don't like you. Well, wow. I said, they who? He said, the people at school and everywhere, the, 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 the blacker you are, the more they won't like you. And, uh, and I, I, I hate to say this, but I, I ended up crying too, because I was crying because I had no idea that he knew that so soon, and uh, I, I, I wanted to protect him from from that feeling, and it had slipped by me in a way that that I was naive to, that he was running into that so early, and uh, and I told him never say that again. I said you are beautiful in any color skin God painted you, and I started working on how he saw himself, but it was. It was an unforgettable moment when you see it in the innocent eyes of a child who's done nothing at all to anyone. It was, it was a, it, but it was, it, it was a wake-up call to me that that these perceptions and how we teach our children they carry that out in every facet of their life, be it good or bad. And he had ran into it at school much earlier than I had prepared him for. Now, what drives you? to succeed? Because I do believe failure is an essential part of the process to success. But, um, and we spoke about this in the last show, and I said to you, does the fear of the past drive you to succeed? I think think it's a combination of a lot of things. Some of it is, uh, once you have been that low and that close to being homeless, uh, you don't you don't ever want to have that experience again. So I, I think that there there has to be some recognition that uh, the the adversity has something to do with the tenacity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that's true. But but to a greater degree, it has been largely the pursuit of. I, I thought it would be a tragedy for me to live and die. Bear in mind how my father died early. I thought it would be a tragedy for me to live and die and never get to know myself. So I, I set out to find out what was in me. What could I do? What can I be? Uh, to, to discover what I was created to be in the earth. And, and I think success is not for me about a house or a car and, and, or, or a certain amount of money. It because, isn't? No, because you, I've seen people who had all of that and still weren't successful. Success for me is the outworking of the internal to, to, to bring to birth every creative thing inside of you within your lifespan and to, to 
maximize according to what you have been given. So I'm not running my race by somebody else's uh, triggers. I'm running my race according to what what was placed inside of me, and that determines how well and how successful I am. Because no matter how fast I go, if I were created to go much faster, then am I really successful? You obviously use God's Word in, in a lot of your sermons. Do you think in any part of your life where you've been in a situation where you think God has spoken to you? Because I sometimes feel God might not be speaking to me, but God's subtly shown me stuff, giving me an indication that this is the way to go. Have you been in that sort of a situation? Oh, many times. Yes, absolutely. I mean, the whole reason I'm in Dallas, Texas, is it's by the prompting of the the Holy Spirit in my heart that it was time for a change, that I had done all I could do in the area that I was in and that my destiny would not be completed in that spot. And I think those pivotal moments, it's kind of like uh, uh, being in a car and, and, and having the GPS system speak to you. Mm-hmm. If you're on the straightaway, the GPS doesn't say anything until it's, you're getting near a turn. And and it, I don't have to hear God when I'm on a straightaway, but when I'm near a turn, to have some sense of, you know, in five miles, turn left. <laughs> you know, those pivotal moments in my life, uh, many times uh, I have felt the urging and the, and the promptings of God. And there have been times that I have come to pivotal moments and heard nothing at all. And I think that is a test as well. Uh, to sense to sense your destiny when it goes unspoken. Both of them are different methods of revelations of God without and God within. Well, the funny thing about success is people only see the pedestal side of things. They don't see what happens behind the curtain. You know, the hard work, right. uh, the blood, the sweat, the toil, the tears. Um, what's the most challenging part of being you that people don't know or don't see? Oh, it's very demanding. I mean, it's it's very, it takes a lot of time. I mean, I was up till almost two o'clock in the morning answering emails last night. Uh, and I've been up today and had a meeting and got this and got a meeting right after this. It's, it's, it's not what they see on the stage uh, or anybody else's stage that defines who they are. It's, it's what you do when people are not looking that determines who you are. And we generally use that as a, as a barometer of character alone, but it, it is also true of anybody who has any level of notoriety or, or, or simply visibility. It, it is not what the ballet dancer does when she comes out uh, uh, in the ballet and begins to perform. It's what she does in the practice, mm. <laughs> in, in the rehearsal. That's 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 what all all the prep uh, preparation is never time wasted, and 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 it's like much like a bank account. Nothing in, nothing out. Little in, little out. Much in, much out. And so those moments define you not by what people see publicly, but the ability to 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 lead and and to read and to manage the 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 organization and whether you're talking about a, a film cast or a camera crew or something that we're working on on a project in my for-profit company or whether it's managing a, a church that does nearly 400 funerals alone a year 
every year, uh, plus weddings and, and, and 30,000 members and 300 and some people on staff. And all of the issues, you have all the issues that anybody else does with payrolls and people and functions and dysfunctions are all a part of, of, of the management part of it. The pleasure of it is getting to walk out on the stage on Sunday and speak, or the pleasure of doing a movie is to walk out there uh, on, on the red carpet and, and, and answer questions and, and have people watch what you created. The, the responsibility is what you do when people are not looking. And that's anybody's, no matter what, whether we're talking about a restaurant or a computer lab, it makes no difference what it is. If the, if the quality doesn't go in before the name goes out, the name won't last very long at all. Well, that's all the input. So in terms of the output, what's, what do you think would be the best part of being you? The best part of being me is... is well, there's there's two things that 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 I treasure. Uh, I, I got to go all around the world and see places and people and cultures and food that made me so much broader in my thinking. It's, it's it was just such a gift to to be exposed to to anything beyond where you started. It's always such a gift, and and I will treasure it all the way to the grave. The the, the eyes I looked into in the bush in Ghana. The being in in the on death row with somebody before they were executed, being uh, behind the scenes with the, with the president and an inauguration to see the best and worst moments of life brought conclusions that that are priceless that I could have couldn't have received any other way. That's been absolutely amazing. And the other thing that's that's very rewarding are the simple the simple treasures of personal contact with people that you've been able to help and 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 somehow they did not know that that helping them helped me uh to see how that, that must be an amazing feeling it's amazing to see how happy little children get in 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 foreign countries over shoes or or the digging of a whale for some of our philanthropic things to to see little kids eyes light up because they got they got a bag of beans or even, you know, when I was in uh, Bangladesh uh, working and you would still see these kids have nothing, but they still have that smile. Yes. That's amazing. It's amazing. And it I'm full you... of pity. And because they don't know any better, they're just smiling away. Yeah. And it, it makes you reexamine your right to, to, to be irritable, to be depressed when you have so much more. When, when, when I was in Lagos and I saw these, these paraplegics on, on little skateboards scooting up and down the street, mm. happier than people with, with legs and, and arms, and, and, and it makes you rethink what, what matters. So my, my mother was an educator. She used to say this all the time, and my life proved it to me. She said, the world is a university. And everybody in it is a teacher. When you wake up in the morning, be sure you go to school. Right. And 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 it is a lifelong learning experience that I'm the most grateful for. That that I didn't die in the narrowness of my own opinion and asphyxiate as if my world were the world. And to have a broader worldview often has created. Discord, because when you have a broader worldview amongst people who don't, uh, you often are considered unorthodox and excommunicated from from tribes and troops because you don't fit into the narrow window of this is the only way this or that can be. Well, my wife says, moving on, that I suffer from severe intellectual suppleness <laughs> uh, and extreme moral maneuverability. 
So taking that to you, how do you keep your level of intelligence increasing? How do you keep your morals in check? Because in your situation, there must be temptation around every corner. Uh, there, there are temptations, and I think temptations are less situational as they are uh, uh, a matter of seasons of your life. The temptations of a young man are much different from the temptations of, of an older man. Uh, you know, I'm entering into another season of my life. So uh, the temptations, how I would answer that question at 20 is much different than I would answer it at 60. <laughs> no, absolutely. And I don't mean it to be in any way, um, uh, don't take it out of context. So, you know, a temptation can be simply that, you know what, I've been doing good. I don't need to get up today. I'm going to have a lie-in. Oh, well, I mean, I mean, from from that, that that's the the, the sixty temptation. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's not the twenty temptation. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, I, I mean, it's it's all kinds of things. Uh, there, there are tempta- the temptation to stop evolving, uh, the the struggle to 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 want to fit in and to be liked so well that you give up the opportunity to expand and grow. What's, what's your source of intelligence? Because you know what? You're a mentor to millions of people. We have you. Who do you have? I have you all. We have each other. There, there is no way that you can give something to someone and not get something from from the world you gave it to. I'm in class every day learning from you. And any wisdom that I may have gathered along the way, it's only because I went to your school to get it. The the world, the whole world is teaching you. It's not just one person, and it's not just me or anybody. Every, your children, I, oh, gosh, I learned so much from my kids. It's amazing. Uh, well, what but, can we learn from our children? Because you know what? There, there tends to be a tendency of highlighting only their troubles and and their failures or their lack of accomplishments, which I think is unfair. What do you think are the good qualities of this new generation? Oh, I think it's a lot of things. Uh, from my children, I learned uh, how to forgive uh, because children forgive so easily and move forward at early ages. You can, they can have an altercation with the buddy and be friends the next moment. Uh, when you look at it from a generational perspective, I think that every generation has strengths for their day. Uh, I, I'm a baby boomer, and we were builders, and we built everything, businesses, buildings, churches, universities. We built everything. And, but these, these uh, millennials come along. They may not be builders, but they enhance with computer and technology and creativity. I think there are many things that they bring to the table in terms of energy and passion and vibrance and philosophy that has not worn weary with failure and, and, and practicality. The sense of adventure, the sense of wonderment, uh, the sense of excitement and enlightenment and their appreciation for 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 a broader perspective and a broader worldview than what we were allowed to think we were we were almost told what to think you know you do what I tell you to do you sit where I told you to sit it's right because I say so this generation has had the freedom to paint their picture on an open canvas of creativity and then to marvel at it. And if we cannot identify what it is, it is still art nonetheless. <laughs> yes. I know where you're coming from. Now, the success you've achieved, um, do you think it's it's had an impact on your personal life? Uh, obviously, it has in some way. But did you have to sacrifice anything for it? 
Oh, yeah, I think you sacrifice. The greatest sacrifice in in the success I have achieved, I have achieved, doesn't sound like a sacrifice to people who have it until you lose it, and that's normalcy. To give up normalcy and mm-hmm. and privacy and 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 just constantly be guarded in order to protect your family. Well, you have to watch what you say. Exactly. You quoted on every hand. Uh, if you go, you can't go into a mall and and people not feel free to come up and say whatever they want, good or bad. Sometimes you don't want to be bothered. You don't get to you don't get to not want to be bothered. The moment I walk out of the door, I'm there to serve people and if I'm not willing to do that, I, I have to stay at home. Uh, you know, so so the loss of normalcy uh is 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 a great loss. The loss of privacy is a great loss, especially when you're raising children and going through life like everybody else and, and yet you are you are not only held to another standard Standard, uh, but 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 denied the right to be what you really are, which is just a person. And if you lose your ordinariness, in some ways you lose your greatness. And so it's important that while you don't always get to live like other people do, that you don't believe your own press and, and believe your own hype and become more impressed with yourself than you ought to be. But to seize the fragments of ordinariness that you have left and to to use them to balance the extremes, the extremely good and the extremely bad, is balanced by normal moments of uh, <laughs> walking around the house with no socks on and a raggedy pair of shorts and 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 eating something that's running down your chin. <laughs> <laughs> now, <laughs> now good. on this huge ship that's floating out, this cruise ship where you've got all these passengers, what's your anchor? How do you keep yourself grounded? Mrs. Jakes? Well, first, my faith. First, my faith is paramount. Mm-hmm. There's nothing There's nothing beyond it because it, it, it gave me Mrs. Jakes. And, and, and then my wife, who, beyond being my wife, is, is my friend in a way that, that makes her being my wife wonderful. Right. Uh, that, that determines how wonderful a wife is. It's, it's whether she has achieved the noble rank of a friend <laughs> there's nothing better and uh that's that's kept me anchored i think being needed kept me anchored i needed to be needed i needed to be assigned to a task i needed to be busy i needed to have something bigger than myself lest i fall prey to myself that's a struggle every day and i and i'm so much like that that i think sometimes occasionally i i describe it this way as slapping pit bulls to see if i could outrun them <laughs> I think I jump on these huge tasks because I need something to attach my energies to that that keep me focused less uh less I'm left to myself and the dangers that go along with being when creative people are left with nothing to create creativity turns on them and eats at them like cancer now you you're constantly getting awards and and I think you know one of the big awards was the time magazine credit to you um, and obviously you go home and you're filled with pride I mean it's a great achievement does she sort of sort of calm you down or does she sort of be exuberant with you I don't I mean, she, she, she's exuberant with me there's no question she's more exuberant than I am when it comes to that sort of thing but I don't struggle with the, the, the that some people do with the arrogance and the pride that comes from human accolades that's not 
a temptation for me because all of those are so balanced by areas of failure and people you couldn't help and people who committed suicide, though you counseled them, that any vision of grandeur that you might have had it soon evaporates in the abyss of, of some other failure or struggle that, that takes that away. So that's not a struggle for me. But the way she keeps me grounded is she keeps me tied into, you know, the kids have such and such going on and, and we, we need to go. She she attaches me back to life and the kids and, and who we are outside of all of that. She she reminds me on those those moments that I am up against it and, and I think that I can't do or give or be anymore. She she believes in me and, and that's that's you owe That's her amazing. that. You owe her because she believes in you. Yeah, she 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 reminds me. Oh, you can do this. I I just believe it. You know, you're going to be fine. And and those little supportive words. I, I am sure. I am sure. I wouldn't have made it without her. I'm positive I wouldn't have made it without her. Now, in this whole 2014 with the transformation concept, where do you get the stamina for continuously transforming yourself? You've got the leadership school. You've yeah, you've got Potter's Bar, uh, Potter's House. Sorry, uh, you've got the books, you've got the movies. Uh, there's no end in sight, and that requires stamina. Where do, where, where, what's the secret sauce? I, I think for me, uh, some people call it an empire, and some people call my business a business, and then they call my church a mega church, and they've got big ways of pointing to what you do. But I think every last one it's of us... It's work in progress, actually. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I think every last one of us has a responsibility uh, to to leave something to the next generation to finish. And at this point, that's a great motivation for me. I want to start things that my children and their generation finish. I want... I want to leave their hands more full than mine were when I started. Uh, I, I want to. I, I'm not. I'm not trying to finish everything. I'm just trying to get it started and 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 direct them to different areas. I started a record label and named it Dexterity because my son's name is Dexter, as is my my middle name, and uh, in and and in the hopes that he might find it interesting to, to take it on and, and run with it. And if amongst all of my collections of seeds they find none worth planting, that's okay too, as long as they learn how to plant, watching me do it. So this is new, is it the record label? Yeah, well, I've had it for a while. I've had it as long as I've had my son. I named it uh, after him, and his fascination is in music. And, and what and type of genre? Uh, largely gospel music, but some Christmas music and 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 some more classical things. Oh, wow. uh, but I've I've been in that space for a while. I actually started. A lot of people don't know this, but I actually started out playing the piano for the choir. I was I was I, that's what I thought I was going to be, <laughs> but I ran out of talent <laughs> and I had to go sit down. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't as good as the rest of them were, so I had to let the pros take that over and find myself another job to do. <laughs> so if you were taken back in time in your 20s, and, and in your 20s you could see where you've come now, that young man would be a very happy man? Wow, what a question. I think that if I, if I could go back and speak to myself at 20, mm-hmm. uh, knowing what I know now, I think he would be happy, but the happiness would be the sobriety of knowing that that uh, 
every gimme has a gotcha. Yes. And no matter which way you choose, as you grapple in your 20s trying to find the perfect way, every every perfect way has its perfect pain. Yes. Either way you choose. And it's a matter of being able to manage the pain that goes along with the perfect way you walked into. And you know something? Life is like a book of accounts. For every debit, there's a credit. Absolutely. Well said. And for every action, there's a reaction. Definitely. Bishop, Definitely. I just want to say thank you for sharing your life. And I just want to let you know that if I was even 1% of the man you are, I'd be twice the man I am today. I hope I don't have to live up to that. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, God bless you, sir. Thank you for coming on the show. Real joy, sir. Thank you. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. That was a wonderful Bishop T.D. Jakes. For more fascinating stories, log on to foxnewsradio.com and click on to the Vip Jaswell Report. Follow me on Twitter at Vip Jaswell and my Facebook page for more great stories from great people. And keep your ears open for the next airing of the Vip Jaswell Report coming soon. Mm-hmm.